welcome to the Palmwood Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Palmwood Church in Oviedo, Florida, where we love God extravagantly, love people with humility, and mentor others to do the same. Here's Pastor John with an introduction for this week's message. Thanks, David. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Palmwood Podcast. We're back in our series on true worship, taking some time to define such worship in terms of the three key components of worship, reverence, a healthy fear of God, adoration, a demonstrated love for God, and glory, a faithful life that displays His beauty and His majesty. Today, we look at the third and final part of that definition, glory. Just what do we mean by glory? Can you define it? You know, many people find that harder than they should. Glory really has a twofold definition. The first part has to do with God's nature. His glory is His beauty and His majesty. But the second part is also important. Glory is the gift that we humans, and really all creation, give back to Him for who He is. And that's what today's message is all about. Today we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. After this I looked, and therefore before me was a door standing open in heaven, And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet and said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of light, lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In, In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing, These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third was like a face, like a man. The fourth like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you 
are worthy. Our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. What an incredible thing that must be for John to have seen. Today we are finishing up our series on defining worship. We're talking about glorifying God, giving God glory. And it's important for us um, so that we understand the message today to to talk about what glory is. Um, Glory really is a twofold thing. Glory is a description of the beauty and the majesty of God, his glory that emanates from his person. Glory is also the gift we give back to him as we reflect his presence. I want to take you just for a moment in our introduction back to the throne room pre-evil. Ezekiel 28 is where you can find this story. There's also a bit of it in, in Isaiah chapter 14, where we are introduced to one of the heavenly beings called Lucifer. Lucifer was created by God to reflect and refract his glory, his beauty, his majesty. And the way Lucifer's body is described by the prophet is made up of every kind of beautiful gemstone. Now think about gemstones that you have seen or maybe that you have, like the Rock of Gibraltar that's on Megan's finger right now. (laughs) If you take that that diamond, Megan, or you take that gemstone that you have and you go out in the sunlight. It's nice under fluorescent light, yes, but if you go out in the sunlight and you just hold it and you move it around, what happens? What happens? It's like it has a life of its own, isn't it? It, It's glorious. It reflects and it refracts the natural sunlight like nothing else. And see, the story of Lucifer is that God created him, I think, my interpretation of all that is he was the angel who was in charge of worship. That's what, what I believe. That's, that's the JKV, the John Kimball version, but I think that that's what he was created to do. We know that, that Gabriel was created to lead the messenger service, right? And that Michael was created to lead the heavenly host, the warring and protecting angels. But Lucifer was created to stay in the presence of God in the throne room and to reflect and refract him 24-7, 365 for all eternity. But he got a little haughty. He believed that he was the source of that beauty. Oh, he was very beautiful. God even says that he was beautiful. It says so right in the scripture. But his beauty was a reflection of the Creator. It was not his own. And his pride took him. And the rest of the story is he was cast out of heaven. He became Satan, known as the destroyer. And um, the rest, as you say, is history. 
glory. Glory is both the very beauty and brilliance and majesty of God himself and also what you and I and all creation reflect back to him as a gift. Keep that twofold idea in your mind as we go through this passage today. Let's pray. Father, it is a fearful thing even though the desires that we have may take us there to say that we actually want to see your glory. You warned Moses about that. And still he pled with you to see your glory. And so, Father, it is with holy hesitation that we today ask to dwell in the presence of your glory. I would ask that today, Father, this is more than just a Sunday morning message, but that you, in your word from this beautiful picture of the throne room in Revelation 4, that you tweak our spirits today, Jesus. You build our desire to pursue what we see in this passage for ourselves. Help us, Holy Spirit, to become the reflectors and refractors of God's glory that we have always been designed to be as the crown of creation made in the Father's reflection in His image. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be what we were intended to be so that we may perfectly glorify our God in worship. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did you hear the call to worship? Did you hear the scripture passage that Michael just read? Both were glimpses that the Apostle John had into the very throne room of God. I don't think that this was some kind of vision that he was asleep. I think he actually, whether it was physicalized or spiritualized, I don't know. I think he actually saw. I think the way was opened. He actually viewed into the heavenly throne room and then was given the task to try and describe it in human words, which totally fail. (laughs) 
totally fall short. Can you imagine? God invites John to come and take a peek at his throne. Wow. Now, you may or may not realize John here is now on the island of Patmos. He has been exiled. And the reason he has been exiled is because they can't kill him. <laughs> Every one of the apostles, the original 12 that followed Jesus, was martyred because of the faith, except for John. They tried. Historians, including Tertullian, tell us that once, possibly even twice, that's, those details are a little sketchy, but at least once, the Apostle John was taken into the Colosseum and he was plunged as a punishment for proclaiming the gospel into a vat of boiling oil. The only problem was he didn't boil. That he went in and did not experience any agony at all. It was like bath water <laughs> for him. And, and if, you, if you just think about what we know about the Roman Colosseum and what they did to Christians, and the massive audience that was likely there because this was John, one of the apostles of Jesus himself, they were probably chanting and cheering and carrying on. The place was probably packed to capacity. I mean, we don't, I've, I've not seen any historical records that actually say that, but you know, just now inferring from what we know about the, the Colosseum, this was John. He was well known. You get a famous dude in there, and I, I'll bet you know, they, they filled the seats. And here's what Tertullian and others tell us about that event is that when John came out of the vat of oil unscathed, a holy hush fell over the Colosseum. And one report is that every man, woman, and child surrendered to Jesus Christ that day because they saw the power of God on display. Now that's not in the scriptures, but it is in more than one historical account about John. They couldn't do anything to him, and so they exiled him to the island of Patmos. Okay, we're just going to sideline you, because <laughs> that's all we can do. And as he gets to the island of Patmos, he has a holy appointment with his Jesus. And the rest is the book of Revelation. Isn't that something? And so here John, after all that he's been through, he gets to glimpse into heaven. He gets to actually see the throne of God. Now, this has happened before. John's not the only one who's, who's been able to see this, you see. Ezekiel saw heaven opened, and he saw the throne of God. In fact, Ezekiel's description and John's description are incredibly similar. Starts right with Ezekiel 1.1 and goes on. It also happened at Jesus' baptism. Those who were there at the Jordan at the time that Jesus was baptized, they saw a window in heaven, is the word, opened up so they could see into heaven, into the throne room of God, and they saw the Holy Spirit descend out of that window down upon Jesus like a dove. It also happened to Stephen, not our Stephen, praise God, but Stephen, the, one of the original deacons, who was martyred for his faith, as the last rocks were coming toward him to put him to death, he looks up and he sees heaven opened and there is his Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. 
It happened to Peter. Peter is up on his roof on the Lord's day and he's taken by the Spirit into a trance state and God opens up heaven and, and Peter sees into it and God begins to, to bring every kind of unclean food down from heaven for him and saying, take and eat in order to teach him about his good Jewish person now encounter with unclean people for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People he never would have ever connected with if he had not had that encounter looking into heaven on his rooftop. It also happened in some manner to Paul. We don't have all the details, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us that he was caught up to the third heaven and he was actually discipled by Jesus, even though walking the earth, he was never a student of the Lord. Now John is invited to enter through that open door and to join the speaker whose voice is like a trumpet in the spirit in heaven itself. The first thing John tells us he sees in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4 in Revelation is the power and the majesty of the one who sits on the throne. And John, with his human eyes, is looking onto the, the presence of God as he, he sits on the throne and he tries to describe God's presence. He tries to describe God's beauty. He tries to describe God's majesty, his glory, in the best way he knows how. And how does he do it? By describing him using familiar gemstones. Why? Because gemstones are the most precious, most beautiful most reflecting and refracting thing, right, that man knows. And so what does he say? He says, his presence is like, and you can almost see him reaching for words, his presence is like jasper. Now, a lot of people today don't know what jasper is, but jasper, jasper actually comes in different colors, but its primary color is blue. Jasper is blue. He describes his presence as carnelian. It's known as another word to us, ruby. This deep, beautiful red, also called in that part of the world bloodstone, for obvious reasons. He describes this glow, this this rainbow surrounding the throne as what? Emerald. Perfect, beautiful, full green. By the way, Ezekiel also saw the glory rainbow and describes it in Ezekiel 1 verse 28. Do you see what John is describing here? Are you catching this? Do you see the colors that he is choosing? Blue, red, and green. Do you know what's significant about those? Think about reflecting and refracting. They are the three primary colors of light. As John is looking at the throne, he sees God as what? He sees him as light, as beautiful in all of its brilliance, in all of its colors. You know, true white light only exists where there is the fullness of blue, there is the fullness of green, and there is the fullness of red. If any one of them is short in color, 
you don't have white. And you see the brilliance, the purity, and the beauty of God being described by John in the three primary colors of light. And this absolutely makes sense that God would be seen as pure white light with all of its, as it's refracting and reflecting like a prism, it has its, all of its, its colors coming out because Paul, who was in the third heaven, describes God this way to his son in the faith, Timothy. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't, don't worry, I'm going to read this to you. Verses 13 through 16. Paul here is charging Timothy, his son in the faith, about his ministry. He says, In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in, what does it say? Unapproachable light. I think Paul's seen it. I think when Paul was caught up into the third heaven, he actually saw it. I think John is describing the same thing Paul is saying. It's, it's, it's light. <laughs> it's it's unapproachable light because the presence of God is so holy and so incredible. It's, it's bluer than blue. It's, it's, it's redder than red. It's, it's greener than green. It's, it's majestic. It's, it's glory. And it is what we reflect and we refract. He describes the atmosphere around the throne. Remember, glory is both the description of God's presence and also the gift that we give back to him. Here, the entire atmosphere around the throne and of its occupant is truly glorious. John then sees 24 elders. Notice that their thrones are right up around God's throne. John has now gone from describing God and the throne room environment to actually describing its activity. You see, it's never-ending worship. Now, there's been a lot of speculation over the years by many people about who these 24 elders are, and I'm going to leave the speculation and the debate of that up to people whose pay grade is higher than mine. I'm simply going to say I don't think it matters who they are. I, I think if it mattered, we would be told <laughs> who they are, and we're not. So I'm not going to worry about who they are. I think it is important, however, what they do. They have position. They're right next to God's throne. You can't get any more position than that. They also have authority. They've got crowns. They give themselves fully to God in worship. Notice when we get to, to verses 10 and 11, they're laying their crowns at the foot of God. They're giving all of their authority and all of their homage back to the Lord. And as part of this description, God, John describes the worship atmosphere that is there. He talks about God's power and his majesty are on display. Here you have all these different characters that are in the throne room and they're worshiping God. And while they're doing this, God's presence is responding with uh, lightning flashes and, and peals of thunder. Do you realize that is also the Old Testament description of God's presence? Think about Sinai. When all of Israel was at the foot of Mount Sinai and Moses alone had gone up to have a meeting with God, what did the people experience about the presence of God? 
this holy cloud that descends down upon the top of Sinai. And all they saw for the days, the days, the weeks, that Moses was up there meeting with God was continuous lightning and thunder and a voice like a trumpet. Then John sees four creatures, verses 6 and 7. Very similar to Ezekiel's vision, John now sees four beings around the throne of God. They are some kind of angelic beings. Some believe that they are likely cherubim. I think they potentially also could be seraphim. I think there's a chance maybe that John is seeing the same seraphim that Isaiah saw around the throne of God. Again, their primary role in the throne room is bowing in worship continuously. John hears their never-ceasing proclamation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And John goes on to describe the heavenly posture, bowing before the Lord. Listen to what John writes. Whenever the living beings, the angels, give glory, honor, and thanks to the one who is sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and they worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for all eternity, there is worship in the throne room of our God. Glory is both a description of God's majesty and the gift that we in all of creation reflect back to Him because of who He is. Now, as we've done with our definition thus far, let's talk practically about what that looks like for us. So we're not physically in the throne room. We will be one day. We will be present with the Lord. But right now, we have the job of giving God glory here on earth. What does that look like? Well, Pastor John Piper once defined the act of glorifying God this way. Glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. Glory is what we give back to God. We do it through how we live. How we live reflects back who God is so that not only God receives the glory, but the people around us see God's glory. Jesus said, let your, here's the word, light so shine that what? That the people around us will see it and what will they do? They will glorify the Father in heaven. You see? You see how all the pieces come together? It's how we live 
that we give glory back. It's how we live that we reflect who he is. And we, you and I, here on earth, put God on display for those who have yet to be introduced to him. So, when we live according to the promises of God, according to 2 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20, we give God glory. If you remember, before we moved into the YMCA earlier this year, we had a whole series on the promises of God. Do you remember that? I, I encourage you, go back, go online, go on the app, and review those topics, review those messages. Because part of what we were doing there was not just to encourage you, but was to, to give you the instructions, the nuts and bolts of how to give God glory. When we live, when we believe the promises of God, and we live according to the promises of God, we give God glory. We reflect back His, His majesty. Second of all, when we step out in strong acts of faith, we give Him glory. Romans 4, verse 20. When you and I believe that the promises of God are true, when you and I believe that God answers our prayers, when you and I believe that we serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and then we step out in faith and act upon that, we give God glory. When we truly worship Him, we give Him glory. And I, I've got five descriptors here from the, the Scriptures the, this is just a very limited list. There's all kinds of other things we could add to this. But worship, what does that look like? Well, it's when we call upon the Lord, Psalm 99, 6 through 9. When we sing to the Lord, Exodus 15, 1 and 2, 2 Chronicles 20, 21. When we shout to the Lord, uh, Psalm 47, verses 1 and 2. When we praise the Lord. Psalm 103, when we declare the Lord's deeds before the world, 1 Chronicles 16, 23 through 31, and there are other ways that we do this. Worship is not just a Sunday morning activity. Worship is not just when Stephen plays the guitar and we sing. How many of you know that you can worship without any music whatsoever? How many of you know that you can worship without being in church? How many of you know that if you are actually doing everything that you do unto the glory of the Lord, everything you do is an act of worship. Hello? When we intentionally live fully for Him, we glorify God. First Corinthians 10, verse 31. When we minister, I love this, when we minister according to our divine design, we give God glory because he made us. Isn't that what they declared? You made things as it pleased you to make them. Well, guess what? That includes you and me. <laughs> Each one of us is made in a way that pleases God. And so Anil's gifts and personality and talents and ministry passions are not the same as mine. And you know what? That's by design. Michael's gifts and personality and, and ministry passions and his life experiences are not the same as Steve's. And you know what? That's by design. And Megan's are not the same as Catherine's. It's, it, that's the way it works. We are all made uniquely. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made, unique, perfect in God's sight to accomplish what he has set before us. And when every single one of us lives and ministers according to our own unique, divine design, blooming where we're planted, it gives God glory. From our passage today, I think we also can infer it gives God pleasure. So 
we need to live that way. When the Lord becomes our chief desire, when nothing else in our life is more important or we are more passionate for than God himself, we give God glory. Psalm 63, 1 through 5. When we remain in Christ and bear his fruit, we give God glory. John 15, 7 and 8. And when we seek the Lord and recognize who he is, and like John then, try <laughs> to convey that to other people in, word, in, 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 in ways that words cannot express, we give God glory. Psalm 24, 7 through 10. Glory is the description of God's beauty, His majesty, His perfection, but glory is also the gift that all creation gives back to Him as we reflect Him. Worship, friends, as we've been talking about it here, is the combination. True worship is reverence, awe, adoration, love, and glory, reflecting who He is back to Him and to the world. In Jeremiah's prophecy, we hear these words. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast in this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. It is most important that we, like John, get a glimpse of who he is and that we boast in our God. And so I leave you with this question this morning. What do you find your glory in? As you look at the list of ways to reflect glory back to God in worship, which of these are you doing on a consistent basis? And if you're not doing all or some of them, what is standing in your way? Let's pray. Jesus, my heart in this series is not that we just learn facts with our head and gain knowledge, but that by the empowering of your Holy Spirit, your word goes deep and takes root in us, transforms us, makes us more like you, and therefore we gain wisdom which has both an understanding of the truth and experience with it. Again, it's a fearful thing to ask to see your glory. But that's what we need, Jesus. You showed your glory in the transfiguration to Peter, James, and John. You've shown your glory to others after your resurrection. Give us a taste. Give us a peek. Enable us 
to then be what you've designed us to be from the beginning. Perfect reflectors of your glory and worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Palmwood Podcast. If you'd like more information about Palmwood Church and its ministry, see our website at palmwoodchurch.com. Have a blessed day.